Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by the Steady Beat Survival Guide. In this free ebook, I share my top 20 favorite songs and chants for Steady Beat in the elementary music classroom. To grab your free copy, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash steadybeat. Again, that's thatmusicteacher.com slash steadybeat. You can also check out the show notes wherever you're listening to this episode now. You're listening to That Music Podcast with Bryson Tarvin, the curriculum designer and educational consultant behind That Music Teacher in the Elementary Music Summit. Each week, Bryson and his guests will dive into the reality of being an elementary music teacher and how music can truly be transformative in the lives of the students you serve. Show notes and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at thatmusicteacher.com. Hello and welcome back to That Music Podcast. I'm super excited to once again have Aileen Miracle here today. And today we're going to be talking about embedding assessment into the music classroom, why it's important and how we can do it without driving ourselves absolutely bonkers. So Aileen, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me on the show. So for those of you who don't know you and haven't listened to your earlier episode with me on on That Music Podcast, can you let us know who you are, what you do and where you teach? Yeah, sure. So I right now am near Columbus, Ohio. I grew up in Metro Detroit and I attended Central Michigan University for my Bachelor of Music Education. And I taught for two years in the district that I graduated from and then moved to Ohio after that. So I'm in my 24th year of teaching currently and I teach K to five and choir. But over the course of my 24 years, I've taught kindergarten through seventh grade, band, choir, and strings. Um, I have my master's from Capital University with a master's of music education with a special specialization in Kodai. And I was able to attend the Kodai Institute in Ketchikamet, which was just amazing. Uh, and I, you know, I present workshops, I have a blog, I have a podcast, and I really love to share ideas with other music educators. Thank you so much for that background. I can't wait to dive in because I think you and I share a lot of similar views when it comes to assessment, um, which is that it can be easy and it actually is really important. Um, so I would love for you to dive right in and tell us, in your opinion, why are assessments important in the music classroom? Yeah, so I think that a lot of people think of assessments as almost a means to an end, like they do it because they have to. But I I really think it can inform what you're doing in your music classroom and really nurture your students' musical growth. I love this quote by Carol Ann Tomlinson. She says, assessment is today's means of modifying tomorrow's instruction. And I really think that's where it's at. If you can take assessment, not just so that you have a grade for your report card to communicate with parents, but you're getting that data so that you can figure out where are my students at and where do I need to take them and what do I need to do in order to get them where I want them? And just a little bit of background, because I'll probably be throwing these terms out during the podcast episode. When I talk about formative assessment, that would be assessment for learning, where you are kind of just collecting information by doing some informal assessments and kind of seeing where your students are at. And then summative assessment is what we think of kind of as that traditional means of grading. So it could be a paper pencil kind of test, but it's more kind of like end of unit 
or, um, you know, end of concept where you're kind of figuring out where students are. I love that you brought up the formative and summative assessments because I think that's a really important distinction and clarification to make. Um, and somewhat embarrassingly, like in undergrad, we obviously talked about summative and formative assessments, and I could regurgitate what those were, but I didn't really quite understand what they actually meant until I started teaching. Like there, there was like a light bulb moment going off, and I'm like, oh, formative. Yeah. It's forming my opinion or forming my my next steps. So I'm like, wow, that makes a lot more sense. And right. I think when you view as assessment more than just, all right, this is what I'm putting in the grade book and more of this is what I'm using to figure out what's going on in my classroom kind of as like a little bit of like a litmus test. I think that kind of shift can really make it so it's not a chore or it's not something you're doing because you're, um, you know, it's part of your teacher evaluation, but it's part of you just gauging your students' under, understanding while also just saying, are you, are you being as effective as you think you are in the classroom? Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes when I've done formative assessments with students, uh, I find something out that surprises me. You know, maybe my students aren't as solid melodically as I thought they were, or they need more help with something, or maybe they're doing really well with something. And I thought I was going to practice more with them. So it just, it gives you some really good information for sure. Yeah, like for example, this this past lesson session, you know, I I did some formative assessment with rhythmic dictation with my fifth graders, and let's just say they didn't do great. Um, which you know, when the whole class isn't doing great, that's more of okay. Guess we're not ready to move on. We are. We need some more practice with this before we you know check it off or move on to things like we need to make sure that, hey, they're probably really struggling with this listening. Um, what can we do? And that's where I like to take the information and use that to drive my instruction. Um, and I know that we hear the phrase, the phrase data-driven instruction a lot. And I feel like a lot of times the, the, the ways that they're being said are kind of defeating the purpose or kind of watering down the true meaning of data-driven instruction. So I'd love for you to dive in on how do you know when your, your instruction is being data-driven and what does that mean? Yeah, so I think it can look a variety of ways, but I think in general, if we think of data-driven instruction as looking at where our students are and then kind of going from there. So one way that data-driven instruction might look is you're figuring out where your students are, you're instructing them on a, that particular topic, and then you're assessing again. Like if you think of like pre-test, post-test, or for those of you who've ever had to do an SLO or student learning objective, um, this would be an example of that. So you are maybe taking some pre-data, pre-data, figuring out where they are, instructing them more on that topic, and then you're assessing them again and you're seeing how far did they come. <clears throat> Would, you know, were you able to have them meet their goals? Another example of data-driven instruction would be to look at where your students are and then provide differentiated opportunities for them. So this might be in small groups or centers. Maybe you figure out what your centers groups are, your small groups are depending on what the data is telling you. So maybe you have like a heterogeneous group where it is a variety of levels, or maybe you have a homogeneous group where that group, everybody is doing really well, or everybody's kind of middle of the road, or, or everybody in that group is struggling a little bit. And then that helps you as a teacher kind of figure out you know, maybe you have a student who's doing really well in the same group as a student who's struggling, and then that student who's doing really well with that concept can be helping out the student who is struggling. Um, 
so that's another example. And then a third example of a debt data-driven instruction in the music room could be looking at where your students are and then providing one-on-one intervention. So an example of this is I have done this with like lines and spaces on the treble clef staff where maybe I do a mad minute where they have 60 seconds to identify as many lines and spaces on the treble clef staff as they can. And then I look at that data, see where they are with it, and pull students, maybe in the next class we're doing small group work or we're doing centers work or something like that. And I pull the students who are really struggling and I work with them one-on-one just to see where is their breakdown of knowledge. So maybe their breakdown of knowledge is they were counting lines, lines and spaces from the top of the staff. Or maybe their breakdown of knowledge is they were confused about what is a line and what is a space. Or maybe they didn't remember what the line notes are, maybe they don't remember what the space notes are. When you're able to work with them one-on-one, then you're really able to see, you know, where, like I said, where that breakdown of knowledge is. And then you're using that data to improve their instruction. So yeah, I would say, you know, it could be just as a whole group, kind of seeing where they are and tracking the data. It could be differentiated opportunities. It could be one-on-one intervention. And I'm sure there are other examples that I'm not giving, but those are the ones that came to me. I really think it's interesting that you brought up the differentiation part. I know me personally, one of my professional goals for my assess or for my teacher evaluations every year since I've started teaching has always had to do with differentiation just based on the, the, the nature of what happens in our classroom. And the more I kind of dive into the research on differentiation, the reality is, is you can have all these strategies and, you know, ways to accommodate or ways to adapt. But the first thing that needs to happen is that assessment to see, you know, where are students? Who needs those accommodations? Who needs a set? Who, who's ready for more? Who's needs more time on it? So I love that you brought that up. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't invite anyone listening to check out um, episode 53 of that music podcast, where you and I chat about learning centers. Um, because that is a wonderful way to use the information we have from data um, to kind of take it into that more one-on-one or smaller group approach, Um, especially like you said, like pulling people up as well. Yeah, for sure. Especially the um, differentiated opportunities and the one-on-one intervention. If you're doing centers in your room, then those two things are, are a lot easier because you can group students a certain way or you can pull students one at a time to work with them. So I know data and assessment usually gets a really bad rap, and a lot of that comes from the high-stakes testing culture of our schools. Um, Obviously, things are a little bit different in the music classroom, Um, and part of that being we see so many students, and part of that being the content we teach is just a different modality. So I would love to say, or for you to chat about, what, what do assessments look like in your lessons? How do you make sure that you are taking data in, um, as well as making sure that it's still engaging and it's not like, all right, we're going to stop and do this and that's going to be what the class is. I'd love for you to chat about that. Yeah. So I, I do think that um, on top of assessment, just like you said, getting a bad rap where people are doing it as a means to an end or they're thinking about it as a means to an, an end. I think especially when I first started teaching, I would think of assessment as like paper and pencil and it can be paper and pencil, but it doesn't have to be. So I'm going to give you some specific examples, K to five that are coming from my music lessons this week or something I just did or something that's coming up just so you can kind of see, you know, the listeners can kind of hear how specifically it might look for each grade level. <clears throat> so kindergarten, 
I might do an assessment for responding. So in my district currently, we're about to change this, but currently we have five strands that we grade under and we do standards-based grading. So we have performing, reading slash writing, classifying, responding, and I'm missing one. (laughs) Classifying, responding, performing, reading, writing, and yeah, the other one will come to me. But anyway, so responding is one of those categories. So with kindergarten, I might do some kind of creative movement. It could just even be freeze dance where they are moving. I have this uh, fun recording. If you ever get a chance to check out Eric Chappelle, he has CDs that I think are called Music for Creative Dance, but I can get you a link, Bryson, for the show notes just to make sure I have the right title. But he has these potpourri tracks on each of his CDs, which are like um, a snippet of a, everything that's on that CD, but with breaks between, with pauses in between. So it works really well for freeze dance because instead of it just being the same song the whole time, they, they might be moving like slowly and gracefully to one piece of music and then there's a pause and then maybe the next one is fast and lively and they move to that. So it's a good way to see, can they interpret the the different changes in the music and can they move appropriately? So with kindergarten, it might be as simple as we're doing freeze dance. They're moving to these different types of music. And I'm looking around to see, are the students responding with their bodies in a way that's appropriate to the music? And it could be as simple as I write down who's absent that day. And I just look for any students who are, who are maybe just walking around or who are just standing there. Right. So I'm just kind of looking for outliers because most of the students are going to be able to do that well. So very easy assessment. I'm just kind of it's observational. I'm just looking. They don't know they're being assessed. So it's, you know, informal. And I'm just looking. Are the students responding to the music and in a way that's appropriate for that music? For first grade, I just did this today. I had these uh, rhythm tracking sheets for We Are Dancing. So I had the rhythm to We Are Dancing up on the board, but weren't we in first grade, they don't know TT and Ta yet. So they, I had like two little wolf icons for, you know, two syllables or a TT and one big wolf icon for a Ta. And I pointed to the rhythm on the board, to the rhythm chart on the board, and then they got their own sheets. And we sang We Are Dancing a few times. I had them put the first finger on the first wolf and they just tracked the rhythm as they sang. And, you know, I asked them, did you get to the last wolf at the end of the song? And, you know, maybe some students didn't and most of them did, but we try, okay, let's try it again and see if we can get even better. So I'm just formatively just looking, how are they doing with that rhythm assessment? And all of the students are doing it at the same time. And I'm just circulating through the room. Again, just a few minutes. It doesn't have to be super time consuming. Uh, For second grade, this upcoming rotation, they'll be doing uh, centers for quarter rest. And at one of the centers, I am gonna have them do a worksheet. So there is a paper pencil assessment there. They'll be doing a worksheet for Bow Wow Wow where they are writing the rhythms for Bow Wow Wow and figuring out the form. For third grade, I'm using Seesaw, which is a really awesome tech platform. if you haven't checked it out, you might want to check that out because it's it's a really, there's just so much you can do in Seesaw. But with their grade, they are writing rhythms with just eight beats of rhythm with Ta, Titi, and Rest. And then they're adding Solfa to it with Sola, Mi, and Do. And I have some, you know, guidelines uh, to end on Do and to make sure there's not any Solfa underneath a Rest. And, you know, that, that for Titi, there's two Solfa, that kind of thing. So they're 
you know, writing the rhythm, writing the melody, and I have handbells inside the Seesaw app that they're playing their composition on, and then they turn that into me. And then I'm able to see, do they understand that for TT, there's two sofa? Do they understand for rest, there's nothing, you know, that kind of thing. And I've done something very similar before where I had them sing it to me as well. So within Seesaw, you can have students record themselves, which is awesome. So that's an example for third grade. I have two more examples for fourth grade. We're working on dulcimer right now. So again, just very informal observations. I'm just circulating through the room and saying, do students understand where do is? I have like a sticker where do is. Can they figure out where Ray goes if do is there? Can they figure out where me goes? And then we're going to get to a point where we're figuring out how to play closet key on the dulcimer. So again, informal observation. I'm circulating through the room and just seeing how students are doing with it. And then my last example is for fifth grade, uh, they're practicing Lola. We're a little bit behind because of COVID. And uh, I have a game that I made where they are listening to a pattern and looking up on the screen and seeing which pattern matches. And then you could do something like plickers with this. If you've ever heard of clickers, it's a really, it's free and it's a really cool tool you can use where students hold up a, a card a certain way to show their answer. And then you scan all their answers with a phone. It's really cool. But if you don't have time for that, you could simply just have them close their eyes. Again, you're writing down who's absent and you know, who answered incorrectly. And then at the end of that assessment, just a little game, then they can, you can, you know, figure out where they are with it. And I've done something similar with a rhythm game as well. So all of these activities would be, except the seesaw activity and maybe dulcimer is going to take a little bit longer, but the rest of them can be very simple assessments that might just take five minutes or less, honestly, and that then you're able to get good data from it. Okay, so an actual treasure trove of wonderful examples there. So <laughs> thank you for sharing those. But I want to kind of go back a step. And you were at one point you mentioned that the, the students really don't know they're being assessed. And that's one thing when I first started observing um, elementary music classrooms when I was an undergrad, I instantly fell in love with kind of tricking them into being assessed through yeah, maybe singing games or things like that. Because when I was going through school, I was always one that when I knew I was being tested, tested, I always like kind of froze up and I always, I got really nervous. I'm like, Oh, I want to do it right. And I can't imagine that's gotten any better with all of the, the tests, you know, all the pressure that we put on, yes. on students uh -huh. to, to with these tests. So I'd love for you to chat about the idea of not the, the students not necessarily knowing they're being assessed and why you think that's important. Yeah. I think most of the time when I'm assessing, they don't know that I'm assessing. And it, for the reasons that you just said, I think, uh, especially nowadays, I, I feel like so many of our students have anxiety. They want to do really well. They want to do things perfectly. And if they know that I'm taking a grade for this, then their anxiety level just goes up. And, you know, sometimes I'm using it for a grade, sometimes I'm not. So I don't want them to worry about it. I just need to see what they know. And I actually just was doing that melody game that I talked about with fifth grade. I did have a student ask, are you taking this for a grade? And I said, you know, I'm writing down how, how we're doing with it, but it's just so I can, you know, see how much more practice we need. So again, lower the anxiety level and just, you know, focus on, I just want to see where you're at right now. And, you know, I think there are times when it would be completely appropriate for students to know that they're being assessed, especially when you have those summative assessments where it's getting to be like you're, you've been working on this concept or the skill for a long time or a unit for a long time. 
and here's here's what I'm looking for. So you're showing them the rubric, you know, I, I you know, let's say it's recorder or something like that. I'm looking for, are you covering the holes completely? I'm looking for, are you blowing warm air that's not squeaky through the recorder? You know, and so then you're able to communicate with them more of what you're looking for and what your rubric is. And they're probably more aware that they're being assessed. But a lot of times I'm just taking the data so that I can see what I can do with it. And I think also because I have standards-based grading, it lends itself a little bit more to that because uh, it's kind of like we're comparing it to where we want to be at the end of the year. So the parents are kind of expecting that they're going to be on a journey the whole year. And then at the end of the year, have they, you know, reached the end of that journey? Have they met that goal? I have to admit, I really like the way that your district does grading for elementary music. We are standards based in my district, but it's just one letter it's just one grade yeah Yeah, it's like really hard to put all that information into one you know well yeah they're progressing rhythmically but you know they're they're in fifth grade they still don't have in in their head voice it's like it's really it that that is a a fight that will probably have at some point or a not a fight i guess a a gentle conversation because when it comes down to it that information isn't as valuable um but I love the way that your district does it. I'm sure that is a lot of work come grade card season, but um, I'm sure that is also really good information to have. Yeah, I mean, it does take some time, but then I feel like I'm giving specific information to the parents instead of like you said, like, well, they're getting this grade, but it's they're doing you know well with rhythms, but not with my, you know, I, I think it's it's just more specific and it's easier for me to communicate for sure. So I would love for you to chat a little bit about how often you assess, whether that be like, you know, how often do you do like a formal assessment that you necessarily put, you know, put, maybe put in your grade book or how often do you just informally assess or are you never not assessing? Yeah. So I would say as far as informal assessments go, every lesson, I'm looking for something in every lesson. So whether it be like solo singing, I'm listening to a few students, you know, sing back to me or I'm watching how well students are performing study beat, or I'm watching for how well students are playing instruments, like those informal assessments are happening all the time. As I'm sure, you know, listeners who are listening right now can, you know, kind of connect with that, that yeah, you're, we, I think as music educators, like uh, this comes very naturally to us, for us to just be informally kind of seeing how students are doing. So that happens a lot. As far as formal assessments, I would say, every few lessons. So I should kind of give some background. I am on an A, B, C, D, E rotation with grades one to five. Uh, Kindergarten is kind of its own little (laughs) uh, crazy schedule, but most of my students are A, B, C, D, E for 50 minutes. So in a marking period, I might be seeing them depending, you know, nine week marking period, maybe I'm seeing them seven, maybe eight times if I'm lucky, you know, kind of depending on the way this the calendar works out. So I try to do formal assessments every two to three lessons, I guess. And sometimes I might have, you know, a few lessons in a row that have formal assessments. And like I said, um, oh, I did write down my strands, so I'll get the one that I was missing. So we have performing, reading slash writing, classifying, creating. That's the one I was forgetting, creating and responding. So Uh, if I have an assessment for one of those strands, let's say I have like a reading writing assessment for one of those strands, I try to get more than one reading slash writing assessment, because then I feel like the more data you can have, the better. 
And I'm sure that all of you can relate. Sometimes you have like one grade because you don't see students very often. So you might have one grade for this one category and the student maybe was not having a good day or they just weren't doing very well with it. And then you kind of feel bad that you're giving them this grade for this one assessment they did on this one Monday in October, right? So I really, I think that's something that I learned from COVID was kind of how to stack my assessments so that I have given students more than one opportunity to show me what they know. And then I feel more confident communicating that to parents. And then, you know, by the end of the quarter, I like to have several assessments, you know, at least three, sometimes five. And so that's, like I said, over the course of maybe seven lessons, I might have three to, I like it to be four to four to five would be ideal um, assessments that I'm pulling from for the grade card. So I know that (laughs) I'm definitely guilty here where I always start the year and I'm like, I'm going to put so much more. I'm going to write it down because I feel like as music teachers, we, like you said, we are always assessing. It's just sometimes we don't write it down (laughs) Um, or, you know, making a formal assessment. What strategies or what tips do you have for those people that are like, all right, I have kindergarten through sixth grade. I have multiple sections of each. How do I implement more assessment without completely overwhelming my work where I'm, you know, spending my entire planning period just entering assessments or just things like that? Um, How do you juggle all that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And like you said, I think just being more intentional is really key because, you know, we're doing this already. We're we're observing students, we're seeing where they're at with a bunch of different concepts and skills and instrument playing and all sorts of stuff. So it's just really being intentional about watching where students are. Um, Something that has been really helpful for me is just to have, I just have a small paper notebook. It's not eight and a half by 11. It might be, I don't know, five by seven or something like that. So it's just a small spiral bound notebook. And some assessments lend themselves really well to me just writing down how students are doing in that small notebook. So I might like put the name of the class, put the name of the assessment, I write down who's absent that day. And then I'm just, like I've mentioned before, I'm just writing down the names of students who are not doing well, or maybe they miss a question. So I write down their name, put a minus next to it. This could also be done on a seating chart, whatever works for you. So, you know, and then we have the next question, maybe so-and-so answered incorrectly a second time. I write a second minus and that kind of thing. So by the end of that assessment, I can see uh, that, you know, most of the students answered all the questions correctly. And these three students answered two questions incorrectly and that kind of thing. So it really saves time instead of, I feel like sometimes we feel like we have to write down how every single student is doing. And that's, it's just it's not feasible. So, you know, it could be like rhythm dictation with popsicle sticks. All the students are spread out in the room. You have your notebook, you write down who's absent, the name of the class, and then you're just looking for those students who did not dictate correctly and you write a minus next to their name. So that is definitely a time saver. I would also say to decide how you will keep track of your records. Some assessments, like I said, will lend themselves really well to paper, writing it down in a little notebook. Some assessments might work well with an iPad. So we use PowerTeacher in my 
school district and there's like a power teacher website that I can log into. And so when I'm doing solo singing, I try to have my iPad just ready so that I can, as students are singing to me, I'm putting it in my iPad. That way I don't have to write it down in the notebook only to transfer it to my grade book. You know what I mean? Like if I can write it directly in my grade book. So just trying to think of like which assessments would lend themselves well to just writing in your gradebook and which ones would lend themselves well to writing it down somewhere. And then one more strategy that I have found really helpful, and again, this is something that I learned from COVID and from virtual teaching, is when I was teaching virtually, this was in the 2020 to 2021 school year, I um, I had so much more data than I had ever had because I was seeing them uh, asynchronously two to three times a week and synchronously two to three times a week, kind of depending on the week. So, um, I just had all this like data from their asynchronous lessons. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I have so much information and, you know, I have more than one, uh, you know, rhythm and I have more than one melodic and I'm really able to get that, you know, good amount of data. So, Something that I started doing kind of just as a result of that is I sit down at the beginning of each quarter and I actually write the comments that I'm going to put into the gradebook at the end of the quarter. And of course, I change them a little bit at the end of the quarter, but I kind of write a rough draft of those comments, including all of the assessments. So it might be like this quarter, third graders, you know, worked on this melodic concept, this rhythmic concept, and instruments of the orchestra, or whatever, right? And and we also did blah, 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 blah. This quarter in music class, students were assessed on, and then you can list like the, you know, types of things that you're assessing. And I just find that super helpful to have that because then I can put those assessments in my grade book and just know, okay, I'm going to be assessing this, this, and this rhythmic identification and composing, whatever, right? So I know what I'm going to be assessing at the beginning of the quarter. Not that I'm saying that never changes. Of course it does, but at least then you have a plan. And I've just, I found that to be a time saver. So I love how you brought up the idea of like, what is, what is good for a notebook? What is good for an iPad? I've done this a couple of ways. Um, with varying levels of success, depending on the year. Um, when I first started teaching, my first couple of years, I used the iDocio app on my iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, but quite frankly, I just I would always forget to bring my iPad, so I, w- I never had it with me. Um, so it wasn't very helpful. This year, I am using Chalk.com, their plan board for my lesson plans. Um, okay. So I'm trying out using their um, their their mark board or whatever their grade book is called. Um, so I just like load my my rubrics in there, um, and with rubrics, I actually. For most of my, especially like simple concepts like steady beat, um, um, singing voice, things like that, um, I have like obviously I have some more expanded rhythm rubrics. But my like main rubric that I use most of the time is a four scale, basically saying, can they do it without my help? Can they do it with my help? Are they progressing towards it or are they not even close? And right. basically that that's by keeping the same rubric, it's a lot easier for me to remember what what point is what. Um, so that I found that super helpful. So I love the ideas that you put you brought out too, especially um, you know, taking what we learned from COVID and, and teaching during COVID and applying it to um, our current teaching. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. And I would say too that like, you know, a typical rubric that I would use would be four, three, two, one. And uh a formula that I learned from Brian Burnett, who is an awesome orphan-inspired educator, is four means yes, three means yes, but 
two means no, but, and one means no. So like, let's say you're talking about rhythmic dictation. Four might be, yes, they dictated all the patterns correctly. Three could be, yes, but they got a couple wrong or they got one wrong. Two might be, no, but they did get a couple right. And then one would be no, right? So using a a formula can help, but also not every assessment has to have a four, three, two, one kind of rubric. Not every assessment has to have a very detailed, you know, guidelines for assessing like at the kindergarten creative movement one I talked about before, it's pretty much like check or minus. Are they moving, you know, appropriately to the type of music they're hearing or are they not? Are they just walking around or are they just standing still, right? So I think also just kind of thinking through your assessments and is this a more complicated rubric or is this one where I can just do, you know, check, check plus, check minus, that kind of thing. Love that. So I know that, um, or I hope that there are people that are like ready to to try some new things and add some more assessments in their lessons. So I'd love it for us uh, if if you have an actionable item that that a teacher can do in their their next lesson rotation to start embedding more assessments into into their lessons. Yeah, I think first of all, just looking at what you are already doing and then thinking through what can I make that an assessment. You know, how are you already you know, kind of collecting data, or maybe you weren't exactly collecting data. Maybe you're just kind of like eyeballing it and saying, yeah, most of the students got it. We can move on. Can you take that and then actually write that data down? So I would say number one, you know, and also just, you know, looking for those very fun and quick and easy ways to assess. Like maybe you have a solo singing game that you like to play with students you could mark down how students are doing with solo singing. Maybe you have some kind of rhythm game where students have to identify rhythm patterns, write that information down. So it's just really, you know, being intentional, like I said before. I would also think about the tech that you're comfortable with, like in in your school district, if you're very comfortable with something like Seesaw or Google Forms, then capitalize on that and use those tech platforms that you already feel comfortable with and use them for assessments. Yeah, so in like one thing I wanna mention too, if anybody is like, okay, I want an example of something I can use, I can give you a link, Bryson, to some free body percussion cards that could be used as an assessment. And the idea there is you could have students work in small groups or they could work individually at centers and they just have to create like a four beat or eight beat body percussion pattern with claps and with you know, patches and stomps and that kind of thing. And then can they perform it to a steady beat? You know, it's a very fun activity, but then you're observing how they're doing. Yes, please send me that link and I will be sure to put that in the show notes because that sounds like a wonderful um, kind of low stakes way to get into doing more assessments. So I really appreciate that. Aileen, I know there are going to be a lot of people who would love to reach out to you and kind of pick your brain some more. So where can my audience connect with you online? Sure. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me at Mrs. Miracles Music Room at gmail.com. I have a blog called Mrs. Miracles Music Room. My podcast is called The Music Room. My Facebook group is called The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. And then I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Mrs. Miracles Music Room. All right. Well, I will be sure to put all those links in the description of this podcast. So wherever you're listening to this, you can definitely grab those links. Aileen, thank you so much for joining me again on That Music Podcast. And I can't wait for us to chat again. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun.